student, you're dismissed to go with Miss Morgan and Miss Ivy and Mr. Nick and whatever other brave souls. Um, good morning. Welcome. I greet you in the name of my Savior. Um, hi. Love you. Love you very much. Glad you're here. Came all the way from Colorado just to be with us. <laughs> so happy. Uh, and, uh, well, all of you that did the music, thank you. That was great. Welcome. Um, Chris prayed this morning. We want to hear from you today. And I just wonder if that's true. I wonder if we really want to hear from God this morning. I... I believe, as far as I know my heart, I want to. I want to hear from him. Sometimes that's scary. I don't know if that makes you afraid. It, um, it makes me afraid sometimes to think that God would speak to me. Um, I believe that he's good, and I believe that he, he has only good for us. And so I, I believe by faith that what he's going to say to us is ultimately for our good and good. Good news. But I have to admit, sometimes um, I just I just wonder if I really want to hear from the Lord today. I I I want to I want to want that, and I want that for you. I want you to want to hear from God too. Um, last week we looked at uh, uh, well a little passage in Nehemiah. I believe it was eight and nine, where the people of God had gathered together to. Um, give thanks to the Lord for the completion of his temple that they had rebuilt and the wall. And right in the midst of this celebration and this, this gathering of God's people, they started reading the Bible. They gathered actually, they gathered together to hear from God. And Ezra the priest started reading the Bible, specifically uh, probably the book of Deuteronomy. And uh, when they got through turning off their phones and uh, they got through listening to the Lord uh, speak, <clears throat> they, they, their response was that for a number of hours they started confessing their sins to God. And we talked about that last week, about just what a gift God has given us uh, that we have the opportunity once a day, once an hour, uh, once a week, whatever, however often you want to do it, we can go into the presence of God and say, God, I've done wrong. I spoke wrongly. I thought wrongly. I acted wrongly. Wash me and cleanse me and make me clean and reunite me in intimacy. Not, not relationally, not positionally. We're already good. Axe murderer or Billy Graham. We're good because of the blood of Jesus. But I don't feel close to you because I've done wrong. Would you forgive me? And God says, oh my gosh, I've been waiting on you. And, and then we can leave clean and feeling good and close. We don't have it. Shirley used to teach a book, uh, The Scarlet Letter, 
where the whole point, well, I don't know about the whole point. I better be quiet about that. But I would just say that what I, when Shirley would come home and tell me these stories of things that she was teaching, she still does it after 40 years. Um, but what my takeaway was that, oh my gosh, to live in a world, practically or spiritually, where when you do wrong, the response is, put a sign on you uh, so that everybody knows forever you did wrong, you did wrong, you did wrong. And God says, that's not the way I do. Come and let's, let's make things right. Let's get this cleaned up. Get you a new, new robe on, a new ring on, and new shoes. And let's, let's throw a party. And that's what we talked about last week. Uh, well, I'd, I had something totally different that I'd already been working on that we'll, Lord willing we'll do next week uh, about praying for your children and your grandchildren. I'm hoping that's what we'll do next Sunday. So anyway, that's my plan. Um, but anyway, I uh, planned on doing that and I was finishing up Nehemiah and I got to chapters 11 and 12 and I came to this little phrase in the fir- actually the first two verses of Nehemiah 12, I guess it is. What is it? 12 or... No, chapter 13. First two verses of chapter 13. And man, when I read those uh, on Monday, I guess it was, Woo, that just hit me like a ton of bricks. Uh, And I wanted us to talk about it today. Um, But let me give you just a little background. I'm going to leave Nehemiah, I promise, today. We're not going to come back there for a while. Um, The people are still gathering to give thanks. Uh, They're so happy and so pleased that God has brought them back to their homeland And he has allowed them the opportunity and the provisions and the unity of purpose to rebuild this temple that had been destroyed by the Babylonians and to rebuild this wall that had been destroyed by the Babylonians. And um, the Bible says that in chapter 12 and 13, the people gathered together, and I'm summarizing a bunch here, but they gathered for this final dedication of the wall. And uh, I noticed two things that occurred during this dedication. Uh, The people gathered and they offered sacrifices. They sang songs. They they, uh, celebrated. What were all things? They prayed. They gave thanks. Um, This was a huge celebration to dedicate this wall around the city of God, the city of Jerusalem. And then once again, The people of God said, would you read the Bible to us? Would you read the Bible to us? And Ezra and Nehemiah and Zerubbabel said, sure. And so they read the Bible. And in the midst, I might consider to them, they came across what you and I might consider sort of a random passage. And it was from Deuteronomy chapter 23. And uh, I'm going to read it to you real quickly just so that you... um, know where I'm coming from. Let me see here. Let's see. So they have this big celebration. It's filled with sacrifices and offerings and prayer and thanks and celebration. And they, the people purified themselves and all these things. And then it says in chapter 13, On that day, the book of Moses was read aloud. Again, it was Deuteronomy. 
read aloud. We know that. I'll tell you why in a minute. But it was read aloud in the hearing of the people. And there it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever be admitted into the assembly of God. Now, that might not... Uh, number one, the Moabites and the Ammonites were, an, were two ancient nations that neighbored, if you can say it that way, neighbored Israel. Uh, they, they, uh, you had that, the Ammonites and then you had the Moabites and they were right on the border and Israel, when they were uh, traveling from Egypt to the Promised Land, to get to the Promised Land, they had to go by both of these nations. Okay? And so they're reading the Bible celebrating the the dedication of this temple and this wall. And in the middle of it, they come across this verse that says, God says, do not ever, 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 do not let the people of Ammon or the people of Moab be a part of the people of God. Now let me translate that for you. Because that might not sound like, you know, like, like uh, you know, well, you can't be in our sorority. Are you, we're not going to hire you to be a part of our uh, uh, business enterprise. We're not going to let you be a part of our country club. And we're like, well, you know, you go jump in the lake. I didn't want to be in your club anyway. You know, but or your business or whatever it is. Uh, but what God is telling the Israelites is that when he says, don't let them become a part of the people of God ever, what he's saying is, is that they have damned themselves they can never be a part of the people of God they can never come to Jerusalem they can never um, hear the word of God the Torah being read or, and studied they can never offer sacrifices they can never and go, to, go to the priest and the Levites in Jerusalem and go pray for me pray for my God says absolutely I hate this thing uh, absolutely not. They can never be a part of the people of God. That is a. I don't know that there's a a, a more horrifying, sobering, hopeless declaration of God in the Bible. Other than maybe that passage in the New Testament where it says, depart from me. But God, look at all these things that I've done for you. And God says, depart from me. It's on that level of seriousness for God to say, you never let these people be a part of the people of God. And so you, it begs the question, what did they do? What what? Uh, uh, what, what violation, what, what law, what, what did they do that would be so heinous, so terrible, so damning that it would cause God to basically declare you cannot be a part of my covenant people. What? What did they do? Well, it's a good question. Let me read to you what they did. It says, On that day the book of Moses was read aloud in the hearing of the people. 
And it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever be admitted into the assembly of God. Why? Because they had not met the Israelites with food and water. Well, I didn't read any like murdering or pillaging or uh, 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 destroying the temple or uh, taking the, the Ten Commandments and smashing them on a rock or, you know, I, I, nobody, I don't hear anybody bowing down to Baal or Ashtoreth. I, God says that the neighbors of Israel were not allowed to ever be a part of God's covenant people because there was a moment when the, the Israelites were wandering through the desert, traveling from Egypt to the promised land, bless you, and they were hungry, and they were thirsty, and they traveled by the Ammonites and the Moabites, and at that time, the Ammonites and the Moabites had food and drink. And rather than offering them some of that food and drink, the Ammonites and the Moabites said no. No. My, let me go and tell you the end of the story. When, I leave, when, when we leave here today, I want you to hear me say this. I want you to remember this. God says that it is incredibly serious and disastrous when we decide to ignore opportunities to help people that are in need when we can. Let me say it one more time. God says that it is serious and disastrous for us to ignore opportunities to help the needy and the suffering when we could have done so. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, what do you have that was not given to you as a gift by God. What do you possess? Health? Time? Transportation? A home? Resources? Skills? Um, what do you possess? That God did not give you as a gift. As I studied this all week long. And I don't know how many hours I poured over this. Trying to create something that I felt like would be impactful on our lives today. I, I, I kept thinking about how. God takes very seriously 
His sovereign choice. And that's what it is. And I know this flies in the face of every one of us John Wayne loving, uh, uh, pilgrim honoring, western, you know, we go west young man and conquer the west and plant you a field and, uh, you know, John Wayne's immortal words. I, I came out here, I, conquer, I, I took this land, I settled this land, I planted these fields, I grew these crops, I raised these cattle. Everything that we have, it's mine because I did it. I did it. And I love John Wayne. I'd rather watch John Wayne than just about anything than hold my grandson and kiss my wife. That's the only thing better than watching John Wayne. But you know, John Wayne's a liar. He's a liar. At least in reading of that script. I don't know what he thought in real life. God takes very seriously His sovereign choice to share His abundance with you and with me. That is not because of your breeding, your education, your skills or talents, your heart. I'm not saying that those things aren't gifts. But that's the very point. They're all gifts. Everything in my life that allowed me the opportunity to have a job and to work and to, to, and to get a salary and even the knowledge that, I, that my wife would tell you that I really got. That if you make a dollar, you spend about 70 cents and you save about 20 cents and you give away about 10 cents. I live by that. That... There's nothing in the Bible I think is more true than that. I've never in my life, if I made a dollar, I never spent a dollar and five cents. Never in my life. I don't do that. Never in my life. But who taught me that? Where did I, do, I, do I actually believe that I am smart enough? Clearly the people in Washington, D.C. aren't smart enough. Nobody revealed that truth to them. That truth to them. That if you make a dollar... You spend 70 cents and you save 20 cents and you give away 10 cents. Approximately. Clearly those people. Who showed me that? Who taught? It was a gift. It was a gift that I was blessed with. It was a sovereign gift. And if you have been blessed with abundance, that is because God sovereignly chose. Why? That's a discussion for people way smarter than me. But I'm telling you that if you have a job, if you have the intelligence to know how to manage your money well, if you have the ability to keep a job, if you have the ability to know how to save and prepare and plan, if you have the opportunity to access other people that can help you with wisdom on how to manage that well and, and, and uh, build that up uh, uh, rightly, um, those, I'm telling you, those are sovereign gifts from God. And God takes seriously His sovereign choice to bless you and me with abundance. He doesn't just give it to us. He gives it to us because He wants us to use it with purpose. He's entrusted us 
with this wealth and this abundance. Because he wants it used very wisely and, and very in ways that reflect who gave it to us. It's a big deal to God that we use the abundance that God has given us to help people that are hurting and in need. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Peter chapter 6. Tell people who are rich in this life not to be certain nor to put their hope in their wealth which is so uncertain but instead tell them to put their hope in God who richly provides all we need to enjoy life and tell them to do good and to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and to share and if they do, they'll lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the age to come. Do you hear what Paul said? Paul said, tell people. And that's what I'm trying to do this morning. You are the people. And I'm the one that's trying to tell you. I'm doing exactly what Paul told me to do. Tell people that God has blessed you with an abundance and he wants you to enjoy it. That's what Paul says. Tell them to enjoy it. God gave it to you to enjoy. But while you're enjoying it, understand that God wants you to use that abundance that he sovereignly gave you. Not because you're smart or good or capable or a certain color or a certain nationality or from a certain societal group. He gave it to you because he just decided to do it. And he wants us to take some of that abundance and to use it to make other people's lives better. Jesus said it this way in Luke chapter 12. From everyone who has been given much, much will be required. From everyone who has been given much, much will be required. I want to say something and I, I, I just, I hope you'll hear me. My desire today is not for you to leave here scolded. My desire today is for you to leave, I want you to leave here one of two people. Some of you, I want you to leave here with a fresh vision of how God can use you to literally change the lives of people. But for some of y'all, I want you to leave here today just feeling like somebody came up to you and said, you're doing good. I'm proud of you. Yay! You're doing exactly what I want you to do. And I just, I just wanted you to know that. I'm, I'm speaking for God right now. That God, God just wants you to leave here and go, I'm proud of you. I've never been a part of a church that is so filled with people who understand this. So it's not that I think everybody in here is a big rat uh, laying on the beach, dropping grapes in your mouth, uh, uh, saying, let the rest of the world go to hell. That's not my point. 
That's not, that's not even my fault. I've never been a part of a church family that is so filled with people who understand that they have been given a trust and they, in, in different ways, different venues, different uh, expressions, They use the abundance that God has blessed them with. They take very seriously their responsibility to use that to make the lives of other people better. I, could, I, I wrote down 15 of y'all. Fifteen families right, right here in front of me. And I'd I won't, but I would love to just say, stand up. And let's just be thankful that there are people to model for us what it means to get this. Um, and I just want to say thank you. I'm not talking about our offerings are good. We're not dipping down in the red, and I'm like, and the finance committee didn't call me and say, "Hey, Larry, we need to stir the pot here, and you know, get this, get these flames going again." This has nothing to do with our church. Has nothing to do with the offering box in the back or the the, the, the computerized giving deal. Nothing, nothing has nothing to do with any of that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people recognizing that they have been given an abundance and they understand that God wants them to use that to make the lives of people better. And people that I'm referring to, they're the most quirky, Goofy, at times frustrating, um, broken, people I've ever met. And yet over time, getting to know them, What I've discovered is that I'm unworthy to shine their shoes. Warts and all, inconsistencies and all, flaws and all. These are people. I I, I meet almost I meet regularly with many of these people, but one in particular, rare is the week that I don't. Sit down. And one of the reasons that I'm so excited is that I get to hear another story week after week after week after week. And this person is almost giddy with excitement wanting to tell me how God gave them another opportunity to just make the city of Memphis, the people of Memphis, 
the organizations of Memphis to make it a better place. To make people this week just give them a better life than last week. God says that He wants us to use the abundance that He has given us to make life better for others. And folks, I want you to know this isn't some hidden uh, idea that's you know in the Dead Sea Scrolls, buried down in the Vatican vaults, uh, under the under the ground in Rome. This isn't some random obscure. The Bible is filled with admonitions to help make the lives of other people that have not, for various reasons, their fault, my fault, your fault, nobody's fault, everybody's fault. Who in the Sam Hill knows or should care why? But some people, they just... They didn't get a good hand. They were not dealt a good hand. And some people were. And the Bible declares the people that have been given aces ought to be helping people that were given twos. And God takes that so very Seriously. Proverbs 11 says, Generous people will prosper. People who refresh others will be refreshed by God Himself. Proverbs 14 says, Those who help the needy honor God. Proverbs 19 says, If you help the poor, you are lending to the Lord and He will repay you. Now you think about, because there's other passages in the Bible that says God doesn't need anything from anybody. Who could declare that you lent to me or loaned to me or helped me out? Who, who would have the audacity to say, yeah, God needed a few extra bucks and I, I gave him a little loan. Who could say that? But God says, when I see Jason or Rick stop and give help to somebody in need, I feel like I just walked out of a bank. And I had been wanting a house to put my family in for years, and I never could afford one. And I, and I walked in today, and the loan officer said, I'll give you the loan. And I go out and go, oh my gosh, I get to go home and tell my family that we're going to get to move into a house. That's how God feels. When he sees us take from the abundance that God sovereignly gave us and to use it to make the lives of other people better. Proverbs 28 says, I'm sorry, Proverbs, where am I here? Uh, Proverbs 21, people who close their ears to the cries of the poor will be ignored in their own time of need. Proverbs 22 says, people who generously feed the poor will, be ex- will experience lives full of blessings. Proverbs 28 says, people who help the poor lack nothing, but people who shut their eyes to, the, to their poverty will be cursed. I think one of the most convicting verses in the Bible, 
some of you have heard me say this before, so it'll lose a little bit of its impact. But it's still worth mentioning. If I ask you to raise your hand, don't. But if I ask you to raise your hand, who knows the horrible, heinous, terrible, wicked, evil, black-hearted sin of Sodom and Gomorrah? Well, everybody in here knows that, right? Sure, everybody in here knows that. Everybody knows what the wicked, black-hearted, evil uh, 16 says. The sin of Sodom and Gomorrah is right. Do you know what Ezekiel 16 says? If you doubt me, go home and look it up. Ezekiel 16 says, Sodom and Gomorrah's sin, their sins were pride, gluttony, and laziness, while the poor and needy suffered outside their gates. Well, that's not the sin that I was told they were guilty of. That's not the sin that I've always heard preached, how evil and wicked it is, and how mad it makes God. Can you imagine it in, New York, in Washington, D.C., having big uh, 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 conservative uh, 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 rallies for we want conservative values, we want to put uh, good stuff back in uh, uh, Washington, D.C., and what the signs, all the signs said was, help the poor. And the needy. Stop hiding inside your walls. And letting the people that are hungry and thirsty and in need. Let them continue to go without. I never see that sign. I never see that sign. That's not the signs that I see. James says in chapter 2. The Lord's half brother. What good is it if we say that we have faith but don't show it in our actions? Is our faith real? If you see a person without food and clothes and you say, Oh Lord bless you, but you don't help them. What good is that? Real faith produces good deeds. 1 John chapter 3, if you have enough to live on and you see a person in need but offer no help, how can God's love be in you? Don't just say, you, don't just say I love you. Show what's in your heart by your actions. Oh. I thought about the story of the Good Samaritan. You know the story. Man's walking down the road. Gets attacked by robbers. Left half dead, naked, bleeding. And three men. No. Is it three? Two men. Two men. Is it three men? Two men. Two men. Two men. These are two men walk by down the road. Both of them are very religious. They walk by. And they go on home what was the problem what was the problem with that story were they cussing drinking were they drunk smoking dope uh, cheating on their wives voting wrong but they come from the election polls and had voted the wrong way what was the wrong that those people did they just didn't stop. That's the, oh, the only thing. These were not 
Uh, the, the, the farmer with the bigger, you know, he, the farmer who worked hard and pl- planted his crops well and weeded well and watered well and grew these, uh, 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 tilled up the ground well and created these big uh, uh, harvest well and he got to the point where he had so much abundance he said what what can i do i can't store it all here i know i'll build some bigger barns and i'll put all my wealth in there and then god said you're a fool you're a fool what did that man do wrong what was his evil working hard planning well farming well Saving well? What was his evil? The rich man in Lazarus. Here's a man that had been blessed with great wealth. Lived in this, this big mansion uh, and, and he was enjoying life. It doesn't mention that the man was bad, did it? Didn't mention that he got drunk or hit people or went over the speed limit or uh, you know, it doesn't mention that he did. I don't remember it mentioning anything the man did wrong. The, the people in Matthew 25. Remember the, the passage in Matthew 25 where Jesus says there'll be people someday that say, Lord, Lord, we're so happy to see you. Yay, Jesus has come back. And Jesus will say, depart from me. You're not a part of my family. And they'll say, but Lord, but Lord. He'll say, I was in prison and you didn't come visit me. I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was naked and you didn't clothe me. Remember that story? Did the, what, what evil did those people do? As far as I can figure, that rich man with Lazarus, the rich farmer, the people in Matthew 25, and the people that walked by that dude that was beat up on the side of the road, these were Honest, hardworking, law-abiding people. Good people. The Bible doesn't mention one bad thing that they did. The point in all of those stories is that the only thing they did wrong is they ignored God's sovereign choice to bless them with abundance and then require of them to use that abundance to make the lives of other people that were dealt bad hands better. I cannot find one other conclusion God wanted these people to just make the lives of other people who had been dealt bad hands better. I don't see them doing anything wrong. The problem wasn't that they did evil deeds. The problem wasn't that they had success and abundance. They just were living for themselves. And God says when we choose to live for ourselves, live for our wives, live for our husbands, live for our children. When we choose to live for ourselves, we have chosen a road that ultimately ends disastrously.
I love Dr. Graham. I love Mother Teresa. I love Henry Nowen. I love Annie Dillard. I love all these people that have, I love people like Chris and Zach and Justin and Bethany. I love people who have been given special gifts that they can use to change the world, to change masses of people. I love them, but I'm not one of them. Most of us, we will never. We're never going to sing songs. We're never going to preach sermons. We're never going to do things, write books. We're never going to do things that will change the world. But isn't it just like God? To create a venue that everyone can participate in. Whether you make 30 grand a year, whether you, well, there were some little people sitting around here a minute ago, um, whether you get $10 a week allowance or whether you make $10 million a year, no one is exempt. No one is kept from participating in taking from the abundance that God sovereignly entrusted to you and using some of it to make the lives of others better. I was going to spend some time, but I won't, talking about um, I don't. I can't speak for you, but I, I. I think I'll think for you, even though I won't speak for you, just because I think you're. I don't think you're that much better than me. I don't have a bigger enemy in my life than greed. When's the last time you confessed greed to God? When's the last time you heard somebody confess greed to God? God, I'm greedy. I know I'm greedy. And I'm so ashamed and I'm, I'm so guilty and I'm so wrong. But if you read the writings of Jesus, there is no sin that he talks about any more than the sin of greed. 1 Timothy chapter 6 says, The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some eager for wealth have left the faith and caused themselves much grief. So flee all of this and pursue what's right. Deuteronomy 15 says, Don't harden your hearts and close your hand to your needy brothers. Treat them as family. James 1 says, Pure and real religion in the sight of God is to care for the needy and refuse to let the world corrupt you. Jesus says in Luke 12, guard yourself from all forms of greed for many possessions will not give you life. And then he goes on to say, 
Let me tell you what a greedy person looks like. And he uses that rich farmer. Have you ever studied that passage about the rich farmer? Uh, what did He uses that to show us what a greedy person, a person that has allowed greed to get in there, what it looks like. And you know what I discovered? I, just, I discovered, I think, four things to his word. I'll mention to you quickly and we'll end. That farmer, if you, if you listen to his words, he kept saying the word my. My farm, my soil, my seed, my harvest, my barns, my soul. He just operated by the principle that everything that I've got, it's mine. It wasn't given to me sovereignly by God. It wasn't, I wasn't given just because of a sovereign choice of God that had nothing to do with me. I was just dealt a great hand. He did not, he didn't believe that. He picked himself up by his bootstraps and he marched up one hill to school and then he had to march up another hill back home. And every day, year round, when he went to school, there was 12 feet of snow on the ground and, you know, and he had a gimpy leg and a lost a knee. I mean, every, he had every reason to, to, to proclaim, I fought against the odds and I succeeded. And it was all because of my diligence, all because of my wherewithal. Really? that right? Let me take you to some villages in Africa and India. Let me take you to some inner city neighborhoods that march up every day. Let's see, let's see how high the hill was. You had to march up every day. That farmer just said, it's all mine. I made it. I can use it the way I did gum well, please. He also believed that money is more important than relationships. Jesus started that story of the farmer by the way he even started that story about the rich farmer was he said, two brothers came to Jesus and said, Hey, tell my brother to divide this inheritance with me. The point was, I, I will risk losing family because I want my snout in the trough. My parents left me this money and by God I'm going to get my share and if I lose my family over it, so be it. And you might think, well, what piece of dirt would put, would, would put inheritance over family? I talk to them every day. I do funerals all the time and half of them don't show up for the funeral because they're over at mama's house divvying up the loot while the other ones are trying to get her in the ground you think well that's not nobody would do that i'm telling you people just like this farmer they put money before relationships farmer said i got to build more barns how many more barns do you need farmer I can't tell you because i got to build more and more and more and more. Enough is never enough. I've always, do you remember when you were 25 years old? And Shirley and I, we got married when we were 21 years old. And you might think, well, what do you would do that? I have no idea. We were crazy as Betsy Bugs. And why my mother didn't throw herself on the ground in front of me and say, please don't do that, please don't do that. But dang, if her parents and my parents thought it was the greatest idea in the world. And I still think, why would you think that? Why would you, you somebody should have said, stop, don't do that. We had nothing, nothing, 
nothing. We moved to Lynchburg, Virginia, and I had $450 in the bank to our name. We still had a year of college. We, start, we almost starved to death. And I can remember when we'd been married about two years. And I, some of you can think this way. I thought, if I can just make X amount of dollars a month, oh my gosh, we will have struck it rich. We'll have everything we want. It'll be, God, if you, I'll never ask for another thing if you'll just give me X number of dollars a month. We would starve to death today if that's all God had given us. Oh my, we, we, we would be in utter disaster if God said, okay, I'm going to answer that prayer. Please don't answer that prayer, Lord. Please don't answer that prayer. I beg you don't answer that prayer. Enough is never enough. And the last thing the farmer said was, I'm going to put all this stuff, all this loot, all this abundance in my barns, and then I'm going to say to my soul, soul, it's time to take it easy. You know what he operated by? The idea that when God gives you blessings, his real intention for giving you and me blessings is so that we can use it on ourselves. God gives me a raise. Well, you know, well, you know what that means when God gives you a raise? You're supposed to go and buy a better car. You know when God gives you, gives you some special surplus that you weren't counting on? That means you get to go on an extra vacation. And I'm not, there's nothing wrong with a new car or a vacation. That's not my point. But do we ever come to the point where we say, God, I am so blessed and so happy and so content. Whatever you give me the rest of this year that is over that, I'm going to use it for your kingdom. Who's, who even thinks that way? I know of several people that do. Who should be in a way living in a little bungalow on the beach. But they continue to work. And they use all of that income to make the world a better place. It's remarkable. It's remarkable that anybody gets that. And that's what I think the Holy Spirit's trying to... He wants us all to get that. He wants us all to see that we have been so blessed. And it's God's sovereign goodness. And He has sovereignly called us to use the, that abundance in unique and special ways on college campuses and in warehouses where we're working with other colleagues and in neighborhoods and in organizations and in uh, at, uh, uh, at rescue missions and in all these different venues to make the world a better place to ease the suffering and the the need in the lives of people rather than just saying, God, protect us as we travel down to have a great vacation and give us good weather and help everybody to stay healthy so that we can enjoy all of your blessings and then come home and wait for the next one.
And there's nothing wrong with that. But do we see that there's more? There's just more to it. God told the Israelites, do not let the Moabites and the Ammonites be a part of the family of God. Why? Because they were confronted with need. And they turned their backs. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. I don't want you to do that. I want us to be a part of what God's doing. I want you to think about that. Um, Christopher, you ready? We're going to take bread and wine and we're going to eat and we're going to drink. And one of the reasons that we do that each week is because of what 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 says. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you... We take bread like this and we eat it to remember that one with infinite wealth took from that abundance and gave to those in need to make them rich. And we drink wine to remember that that person shed his blood so that people that are covered in sin could be washed and made white as snow. And we eat and we drink just to declare, I believe that. And I'm in on that. I got in on that deal. I cannot believe it. But I got in on that deal. And I've been made rich because of the poverty of the Son of God. And I've been made clean because He shed His blood and washed away my sins. I got in on that and I believe that. That's why we eat and we drink. And so, I want to invite you to come. Austin, you and Cleo, come up here and help me if you would. Get one of y'all get on my right and one of you on my left. And if, if that's your testimony... Hell, I'm not a member of your church, or I haven't been to church in a while, or I, I, I'm not sure I agree with everything you believe. I didn't ask you any of that. <laughs> okay, I asked you, do you believe that the Son of God made himself poor so that you could become rich? And if you do believe that, then you come, and you eat, and you drink, and you rejoice that God has been so kind to you. Um, there'll be people on my over there by this window over here on my right, and there'll be people over here on my left at this window who would love to pray with you if you would like somebody just to pray. Don't leave here today uh, and, and need prayer and not get it. Maybe you just need somebody to grab you by the hand and say, you to tell them, say, you know, I battle with greed. I battle with greed a lot. Would you pray for me that I won't be so greedy? Uh, I think that's a prayer that every one of us could 
use somebody praying for us about that. So if, that's, if, that, if you need prayer, there'll be people over there on my right and my left. You come when you're ready. When you feel like God's done business in your heart and you've gotten things settled and you and God are good, then you come and you eat and you drink and give thanks. Thank you.